0: This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at Auth0.com forward slash Angular.
1: Hello, and welcome to Angular Air. On today's episode, we welcome back the wonderful Justin Schwartzberger. Hey, how's it going? And we are honored to be in the presence of the great Patrick Stapleton. <laughs> hey guys. Welcome, Patrick. Uh, now, Patrick is uh, an aficionado in many things. He knows many, uh, has many skill sets. But one of his most proficient, perhaps, is Webpack, or maybe the, the one he's most well known for besides Angular 2. And so I know that he is very psyched for today's episode. And our special guest for today is potentially even more of an expert in Webpack than Patrick, the great Sean Larkin.
2: Hey, guys. How's it going? Thank you. And for the record, uh... I like to think as myself as the muse and Patrick as the machine so I usually come up with the good ideas and he's like oh yeah let's do this and he'll whip it up real quick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Sean why don't you give us an introduction to yourself and let us know a little bit about your background.
2: Okay so my name is Sean Larkin. Uh, I live in Lincoln Nebraska and I work for uh, Mutual of Omaha as a UX developer. Um, Kind of only been on the dev scene for about uh, three years, but I'm a tech support rep gone rogue and, you know, really wanted to help change people's lives. And since then, it's uh, it's been kind of a crazy ride learning a bunch of different things. And now, really, you know, my passion's kind of evolved into helping developers uh, make their lives easier through the toolings and, and all sorts of features uh, that are available. And so that kind of is what led me to Webpack. Um, after I had the opportunity to speak at ng-conf um, about Angular and Webpack... Uh, kind of the, the response was overwhelming from the the Angular community because they were, had questions like, what is Webpack, and, you know, who is Webpack, what does it represent, why isn't this guy getting paid to work on this project, and, you know, how can we help, and so, um, you know, I, I tried to, you know, I, I reached out to the team and uh, helped kind of bridge the gap between the communications and things like that, and... And the next thing you know, I'm I'm on the core team, and, and we've made a lot of really great strides with the documentation and uh, Webpack 2 on the horizon.
1: That's awesome. Um, one thing that's a little bit confusing I didn't I didn't actually realize, Sean, is you know you're a UX developer. I, I get the you know you work in tech support before in the past, and kind of the Webpack is is you know build DevOps like that's kind of interrelated. Mm-hmm. Uh, UX is, is a little bit uh, different angle, like how did you get into uh, UX?
2: Well, I started uh, at an Objective-C shop and, um, and then I learned Ruby, which was kind of like start contrast, but um, I realized that quickly, you know, being able to kind of touch the user uh, through the code we write and kind of impact the things that they do uh, really was kind of fulfilling for me. And um, so JavaScript and front-end technologies started with Angular, and then kind of progressed from there to uh, you know just JavaScript in general, um, and even just being exposed to all the other you know frameworks we get every you know two months or three months. And so it's been kind of exciting to to be able to have something you can, like, uh, put your stamp on and be like, hey, I did that, and it's making people's lives better.
1: Okay, let's get into the main subject here. So Webpack. Most people, I think, have heard Webpack, many people have used it, but why don't you just give a kind of brief overview of what Webpack is and what problem it's trying to solve?
2: Okay, I'll be as brief as I can. Um, So Webpack is a static module bundler, and what does that mean? Well, um, if you've ever worked with Node.js, it has out of the box an environment in which you write modules and require them into other files. Um, The way that Node works is that it's encapsulated in uh, all your functionality and files, uh, but there isn't anything like that on the browser, and so Webpack kind of takes a two-prong approach. So one, it emulates a module loading environment for the web um, so that you can use modules uh, and uh, load them efficiently and have separate features and files and organized code, but at the same time, it creates these optimized bundles that uh, are meant to be super high performance. So, um, overall, I guess elevator pitch would be: it's a a web a web optimizing tool and workflow enhancer that makes no opinions about the, the tools or frameworks that you're using.
1: So I know that a lot of people love Webpack. I mean, you guys, a lot of people on this show, right? Um, <laughs> Kent C. Dodds loves Webpack. Everybody loves Webpack.
2: Yes, he does. There's
1: also a lot of people who don't like it, mostly because the common criticisms that I hear is that it tries to do too much, right? Like, and that because it's kind of configuration-based, many people, even though you use it, in fact, I would wager to say most of the people listening to this show right now who use it don't actually understand it. So... What can you tell us about that, um, and, and kind of your thoughts uh, when you hear that type of criticism?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that kind of hits the nail on the head. Um, uh, some of the coolest things about open source community is that we have access to all these proof of concepts and boilerplates and usages for things like Webpack with their, you know, with respective frameworks. Um, but absolutely, people may use those boilerplates, but they don't really understand Webpack itself. Um, and so uh, kind of one of my goals is trying to push not only the usability aspect, which um, has been one one of the huge complaints, but also the learning opportunity for people to be able to use Webpack as well. Because um, probably besides the most common, which is like, oh, your docs are terrible, or um, you, know, you know, it's too low-level of a tool, the, the third thing I hear is Once I get it, I love it. It's incredible and it's super powerful. And I would, you know, there's nothing else that compares to that tool on the web.
1: We're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam.
0: ThoughtRam. Extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtramp.io forward slash training. Welcome
1: back. Let's pick it up where we left off. Now, I know that you can integrate Webpack with a lot of other build tools. You know, if you're using Gulp or Grunt or whatever already. But in if I'm doing Webpack right, is it the idea that you would use it for everything? Like, is that the sort of ideal situation that your entire build process, you would, if Webpack doesn't already have the capabilities, you'd be building, you know, plugins to Webpack and that type of thing?
2: Yeah, for the exception of things like running tasks, uh, that's still perfect for Grunt and Gulp, um, or you can even just use NPM scripts. Uh, that's kind of a common design pattern, I guess you could say, for those who use Webpack, is they just run NPM scripts for their workflow. Um, but anything besides that, that has to do with any of the assets in your project. Um, Webpack most of the time can do out of the box, but if it doesn't, yeah, you should absolutely um, take on either writing a custom loader or writing a custom plugin. Um, and, and because it can do almost anything, um, the API is so rich and powerful.
1: Now, there's just recently a major upgrade to Webpack two. So what's the difference between Webpack 1 and Webpack 2?
2: So a lot of the changes were kind of subtle uh, only because we're still working on being able to publish some really good release notes for each time we we publish a change. Um, But some of the notable features uh, you've probably seen floating around on a what's new in Webpack 2 doc. Um, But some of the most notable are uh, the ability to have a new loader syntax, which lets you provide options um, per each loader when you chain them, so kind of one of the the biggest complaints is that when you try and write loaders and chain them together, uh, passing the options like a query string is really hard to read, and um, it's kind of a pain to work with. And so uh, that's one of the the big features. Um, Another one, which is uh, the ability to support system.import to uh, act as a asynchronous loading functionality, so if you wanted to asynchronously load assets, you can use the system.import syntax, and Webpack will create what we call an async bundle, um, you know, specifically designed for the Webpack environment to be lazy loaded. Um, And then the last, I I mean, I think of, like, the three most notable changes, so um, the last one, which really kind of enhances the workflow for some people is Uh, Besides just, you know, since Webpack's configurations are just a JavaScript file that exports an object, um, it now supports being able to export a function that returns an object, and Webpack will uh, pass you the environment flag uh, that you you provide for it. So this allows you to kind of have a replacement for what people would use in the past where it's, like, requiring process.emv to get environment variables and instead just have it automatically provided through Webpack. And so you can have a lot of kind of ternary operators or ways to make a single config uh, a little bit more readable and easy to manage. I guess in the one last thing uh, would be having native uh, ES2015 tree shaking support. So I know that that's a a huge buzz feature, I guess you could say, that everybody's been really excited about.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that's been in some other bundlers like Rollup before, but uh... And I think that was a commonly requested thing to be part of Webpack, so that's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So before we dive into the code demonstrations, uh, Justin or Patrick, did you have anything to add, anything that we missed?
3: Yeah, I, I guess it's, um, it's good to talk about how uh, the creator of System.js and the Webpack creator are working together to basically combine forces and have Webpack talk to System.js The System.js, talk to Webpack. Um, So can you talk uh, a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, it's been a a really awesome and uh, exciting experience. So Guy Bedford, the author of uh, JSPM and System.js, I reached out to him in hopes that we could maybe have some interoperability between uh, System.js, which is truly just a dynamic module loader, um, which is completely separate from Webpack, and Uh, you know, the module bundler. So Webpack's magic, I guess you can say, is all because you can do this statically in a build step. And so things that we don't support out of the box or um, even, like, issues or features we really don't support uh, are, like, trying to do a a dynamic load of of a module. And that's because the Webpack environment is created statically during that build step. And so... Um, The idea was maybe to say, hey, well Webpack can create kind of an output template that can conform to system.register or the system.registry spec. And so uh, Guy met with the Webpack core team and we talked uh, about maybe some ways to brainstorm how we could create some of that interoperability and and hopefully conform so that we're spec compatible when it comes to loading modules dynamically. Uh, so that's been really cool, and, and Guy has even taken upon himself to write a plugin, uh, you know, using Webpack API. I mean, I'll just quote him by saying that learning to create a plugin was fun. He did say that. <laughs> so it's one of the like the many awesome uh, things about this open source community and people willing to take um, what others could perceive as competing tools, but instead, you know, working together to just make a better experience for the developer.
4: Yeah, it's I intriguing. think uh, oh, go ahead, one thing uh, that's interesting about it, too, is the, the thinking about it in terms of it's not just a, a loader and a tree shaker and this sort of thing, a bundler for for these assets and stuff, but you have that ability with the loaders and the plugins to now start thinking about I can keep writing my application code in a certain way and do these transforms or, or optimizations with some chunks of code uh, especially when we talk about like the Angular world and the things like uh, template URLs and and style URLs and stuff like that, uh, you can plug in this functionality to your build system through the Webpack stuff and keep writing your code in a, a consistent way, right? And it's not affected by that, and, and you can do a lot of magic with that. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the best part is that like like you said, you can fit it into any any workflow, any environment, any stack. Um, and most of the time, it's just automatically. You can download the MPM modules for plugins and loaders needed, and you, it's, it, it happens. But if you, you know, need to write a custom plugin, um, although the, the documentation isn't the best, um, you know, there's a lot of great tutorials or examples that show you how to do it. I mean, and on top of that, WebTAC's core code, the source code, is actually built on the same plugins that you use externally. So a plugin that you would write... You know, for your config, is using this exact same library or mixin that supports plugins internally, um, and then like even to that measure, uh, I've been told by or I've had the idea of kind of user land versus Webpack land, and so um, what's really neat is that for these tools like the Angular CLI, which I I believe we just cut a release for uh, the master, uh, I think within the next like, just now or in the next hour or so, um, you know, we had to take the challenge of, well, we want a first-time user to not worry about it, so let's use plugins and loaders to instead have an idiomatic experience and not a webpack experience, and so, like, not only can you do a lot of awesome Webpacky things, but you can author plugins so that the experience feels the same for the user, um, meanwhile having all this awesome
0: functionality.
1: We're going to break for a moment for a message from Angular Class.
0: This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we
1: left off. Patrick pointed out that we mentioned the word tree-shaking, but we didn't actually explain what it means. Do you want to give us kind of a quick description of tree-shaking?
2: Yeah, and uh, I know Rich Harris might say, that's not exactly what tree-shaking is, but in the Webpack world, we have... uh, The best way to describe it is this. So tree-shaking is where, um, in Webpack at least, where unused codes or imports or exports from libraries um, are turned into empty modules through Webpack. And so when you minify your code, whether it be through uglify.js or a specific JavaScript loader that minifies, those empty modules are then removed from your bundle. And so therefore you have, for example, if you are using Lodash and you didn't have Webpack, let's say you just use Grunt, you're including that entire Lodash library, um, but with Webpack, you can import one of those Lodash functions and then all the rest of them that are not used or related to the dependency tree will be completely removed from the bundle because they're not needed.
1: Yeah, it's pretty powerful. It allows you to create really small package sizes for your client-side web application, so that is uh, super exciting. Absolutely. Cool. All right, let's dive into some code demos here. So I believe that uh, you were going to first show off the anatomy of a Webpack output bundle, right?
2: Yes. Um, So the best way to do it is by just whipping up a a new Webpack project. I wanted to keep it kind of framework agnostic so that there's not any, like, transforms or extra libraries involved. But then that way you can kind of see exactly what's going on. So we're going to start from scratch or ground zero and uh, just create a small Webpack config and uh, show you what the output looks like and kind of explain what this Webpack Bundle is. So let's share the screen, if I can find that there. <clears throat> so we'll just start off by creating... Here we go. Finding the right window I want to show open. Here's our editor.
3: Let's open up. Uh, can you zoom in a little bit? Sure. How would I go about doing that? Um, good question. <laughs> oh, I see.
2: Oh, the text that is, Okay. Yeah, yeah. There we go. I see. Great. So this is just Patrick's Angular 2 Webpack 2 starter that I have for another demo. But we'll just start off by creating uh, a couple files and folders, and um, start from there. So I guess first things first would be um, I'm going to create the config and, and save it to a specific folder. So Um, A webpack config in its simplest form is just an entry and an output. And so uh, we can do that through exporting an object, and we'll provide the entry property, and I'm just gonna, let's say, call it index.js, and then our, let's make it a little bit more relevant, source, slash index.js, and then output property, which describes to webpack where we wanna place the bundle. So, I believe it's file name, and we'll just call it bundle.js. And the path, and we'll specify dist. So, obviously, this is just a new file, um, so I'll save it to my set of code here. Okay. And we'll rename that.
1: Let's see, save as.
2: Okay. So I'm just going to open up that project real quick. And we will take a look at that here also. We'll hide some of these tabs for now. And delete the one I improperly misnamed. <laughs> okay. So why don't we go ahead and just create a source folder where our index is going to lie, and then um, the disk folder will be created for us. <clears throat> I'm typing in the terminal right now. Should I just share both at the same time?
3: Uh, If you can, yeah.
2: Let's do it. Let's share the entire screen. Inception, and Mm -hmm. there we go. Okay. So I'm just going to quickly make a source folder, and then inside of it, we'll create an index, which is going to be our application entry point. And then... We also want to have this entry point require another file um, so that Webpack can bundle them together. So that seems uh, like that's a good place to start. And one other thing, we'll go ahead and npm init and install Webpack while we're waiting. So let's take a look now I'm going to go ahead and just create some content in here. Um, let's say, uh, and we'll log to the console, and then we'll import that. So, um, Webpack by default can support the uh, the ES 2015 imports uh, with Babel. Uh, I'm just going to require it for now, just so that we can take a look at the config. So I don't have to install it globally. I'm just going to add a uh, a build script, so build and webpack. Let's make some show progress in colors.
0: Well, let's get start
2: and remove Bad JSON. Awesome. So let's take a look and see what we have here so far. So here is the Webpack bundle. Uh, thanks for hanging on there. So right now you're gonna see, well, Sean, the code that you just wrote is is shorter and less lines than all of this nonsense up top. And so like I said, Webpack is emulating a file or a module loader in the browser runtime. And so I like to call this the Webpack Bootstrap code, and you can even see it commented here as Webpack Bootstrap. So the way that this works is that it is going to take any of the modules that are bundled and it is going to correspond a chunk ID, which is these individual modules here, and then request them using what's called Webpack require. And so you can think of Webpack require as the fake Node.js require that happens in the browser runtime. And then down here, each of those individual modules are are listed um, are listed here below. And when one requires another, it's actually using that Webpack require statement. Um, so in its simplest form, the uh, th- the require process is. Uh, Is really just emulated through Webpack here and this bootstrap. Now mind you, when when you have a much larger app and you start to install dependencies that uh, may share other dependencies, um, Webpack has the functionality to not only sort for optimization but then remove duplicate instances of those chunks or modules.
1: Yeah, I think uh, for me, that's where the complication comes in, because obviously, the simple case is sort of what you have outlined here, where you just give it an entry file and just let it do its default thing. But a lot of times, like, if you you want to create separate packages, or if you want to include something external or whatever, you have to kind of customize, you know, maybe do code splitting, whatever else. Um, So I guess you don't have to necessarily go through all those different variations now, but I guess what would be your recommendation for a strategy for someone who, uh, to learn all this stuff maybe, uh, you know, good resources or that type of thing?
2: So, um, the best resource that we have currently is going to be not only uh, just our Webpack Gitter, we have Stack Overflow, but we have our documentation. Um, I think to me, the you can understand the documentation, and you'll find it really useful if you understand the core concepts. And so, um, you know, I have uh, some resources and slides and links uh, that we can provide, and we also just published uh, under a a separate repo called Awesome Webpack, and so you can go to GitHub and search Awesome-Webpack, and you're gonna find a collection of all our documentation links, um, great repos, um and then news, everything regarding Webpack you can find there. And that's community-driven. Um, I've liked that that's been growing so far really quickly, uh, and it's getting a lot of circulation, but um, the documentation and then reading the source code, uh, as crazy as it sounds, uh, is really insightful to show you all the different features.
1: Reading the Webpack source code, you're saying?
2: Yep, absolutely. You can find a lot of hidden, hidden gems in there.
3: Well, reading source code through the debugger is probably the best one. <laughs> Ooh, good segue.
1: <laughs> one of you two should write a blog post of going through the experience of doing that, like learning by reading through the code as you're kind of working through an issue. I think that would be pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we could do that. let not see why not.
1: All right, let's, um, you know, for the second um, thing we were gonna show was for plugins. Before we do that, I just want to mention really quick for people that are watching live right now if you do have a question for Sean or any of the other pan- panel members, you can tweet with the hashtag NGAIR, NGAIR, and we'll get to that right at the end of the show.
2: <clears throat>
1: All right, Sean, if you want to dive into plugins.
2: Sure, plugins. Okay. Um, so the best way that I always talk about writing custom plugins and using them is by using Chrome development tools and uh, kind of exploring the available options that uh, are possible when you create a custom plugin. Um, so I'm just going to pull up a, one of Patrick's uh, repos, which is the Angular 2 starter. Let me find the right one to pull up here. Let me change my screen. There we go. Yeah, it's this one and we'll open that project okay and patrick did you you just made a bunch of updates to your angular 2 Webpack uh, pack 2 starter
3: yeah i changed up everything That's i had, like pretty one configuration file yeah
2: <laughs> i really like it
3: yeah i added async loading um, and like a bunch of other stuff but yeah
2: awesome okay so um, the best way uh, to Kind of explore or create custom plugins. In my opinion, is to actually use an inline function uh, inside of the plugins array, and so this will let you kind of, with ease, explore the uh, explore kind of all the plugin hooks that are available uh, in kind of just an inline way instead of having to create a separate module, loading it, et cetera. Um, so. I've actually added a command inside the package.json which will open up or which will output a link to Chrome uh, DevTools. And so for Node 6 uh, out of the box, you can actually have Chrome DevTools uh, to help debug uh, your Webpack builds or any Node process for that matter. Um, if you want some more bleeding edge features, you can use the node nightly, Node-Nightly NPM module. So... Now that I've shown you that, I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, run the quick command, and so uh, npm run debug, and I will just paste the link, since there's nothing really interesting in the output for terminal, and show you the browser window. So, here we go. So, when you, uh, when you run this command, you'll get a URL that you can place inside of your Chrome URL, and so this automatically opens up what you're used to in common web development, which has the, uh, the dev tools um, with a little bit limited features, but still uh, things related to JavaScript, so like recording CPU profiles, heap snapshots, uh, which are great for looking for memory leaks, uh, as well as, like, allocations, so, like, what is using up this memory over time, um, I <laughs> funny story. I actually found a, uh, a bug in the code that I was writing because um, I had been just working on uh, a certain project and ignoring all of our lint rules at the time. And uh, the linter was finding so many rules that it created a bottleneck in the build time. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, once I fixed those, it was easy to see inside the profile that it was the ES hint loader, ES lint loader, that was causing that bottleneck so definitely check out those profiling tools Um, so what we can do is if we hit play and Webpack is running its build process right now as we speak (laughs) and so just by having debugger statements inside of these plugin hooks you can now have access just like you would in the browser um, for any JavaScript application you can explore the arguments that are available inside of the plugin and so so for the compiler.plugin run hook it has access to the compiler and then um, kind of a handler for errors so this is this is great for if you want to have a callback to basically custom outputs and properties or functionality um, as well as you can see all of the uh, different items and objects that are part of the webpack plugin API. Okay, So in this case, this hook just literally uh, executes when Webpack runs, and there is a whole bunch of different hooks that you can take a look at underneath the plugin API docs on our our GitHub IO doc page. So right now, we're not really doing anything fancy, but um, this allows you to take and, let's say if I wanted to write a console, uh, when this starts, let's go ahead and turn off Inception here. So I'll just I'll just cancel the process, and we'll jump back into that code. We can go into our config, let's say whenever the the build runs, we'll console.log OMG, I'm on Angular Air, and we'll add a... Oh, console log for this statement as well for the parser and we will jump to the parser after my codes okay so <laughs> we'll go ahead and just run it why don't we do the build so we can actually see the output first hey there we go so that's kind of an easy way to kind of test what you're gonna do um, and you can even do it with debug as well so like let's say if I have it side by side and we want to take a look and compare. We'll reload. This URL stays the same, so it's nice to just reload. And we can hit play and just skip the breakpoints, and we'll actually see the same thing happening. So this is kind of a nice feature. Uh, it, it, it gives you kind of like an interactive playground with how to kind of... For me, it's, it's not only learning about Webpack and the different hooks that are available, but it also kind of gives you... Uh, a little bit more clarity on how things are executing, whether it's asynchronous or not, or how plugins fit into the entire Webpack ecosystem.
1: That's okay. I, I actually prefer to put console.log every other line of my code and <laughs> see what gets outputted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> either one. Either one of those is probably a good option.
2: Now, I mean, if we have time, I can uh, I can spend just a, a titch to kind of talk about the Power of the plugins. So, um, long story short, uh, the Webpack source code is all really surrounded around one mixin. It's kind of similar to the difference is that you can actually modify the inf- instance that that essentially calls that event. So, um, the terminology is plug in and apply, um, kind of like emit. And uh, I think it's I think, when you listen to the the event. But um, let's say, for example, if I want to, um, looking at this sample code here, Webpack has a parser instance, which is tappable, and you can actually have a hook at the symbol level for all of your code base. So let's say if I go into, I don't know, the source here, main, this is gonna execute. Actually, there's already some if statements in here, so we should see it break uh into those breakpoints. But you can let's go ahead and restart and see if we're on the code again. Let's see did it stop. Let's try that one more time. Oh I think I removed the debug statements. Let's put it inside the parser. Okay, so when we reload our dev tools here and we play, you can actually see the tappable tab show up. And that's because it's a plugin and it's being executed by that base mixin library. So do we make it? Statement if, just do something easy like eval, call eval. So anytime that eval is called, which is, you know, you definitely don't want to do, uh, but just an example, we can also stop on it. So I think if I just did eval, we should see that break here, just in case. Oh, it doesn't look like it wants to stop there. Mm-hmm. in. I know I'm probably missing something
3: simple. <laughs> Can you can you explain like the difference between a plugin and a loader? Because a lot of yeah. people they they hear like there's a loader, there's a plugin, like there's two ways to plug into Webpack. Like what's what's the difference here? Um, so
2: a loader's main purpose is to provide like transforms one file at a time on your files. Um, so essentially, the way that I describe it is loaders tell Webpack how to treat non-JavaScript files inside of your project. Um, Or even ES6 or, you know, like you can have a loader for ClojureScript or for, uh, you know, anything. Um, It can be a custom loader. But essentially, you provide a loader two things. So one, the name of the node module, like Babel Loader, and then a regex uh, that... Represents the extension for when you want to apply what kind of files on that loader. So essentially, a plugin, as Tobias has said, or Sokra as some people know, a plugin does everything that a loader can't. And so a a plugin has access to all of the different, the compiler, the compilation, um, all of the different hooks and access points that are available inside of Webpack to modify any part of that compilation or build or bundle step.
3: So so in this project, there's an Angular 2 template loader that you created. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think you could go into the node modules and put a debugger inside of that code so we could see yeah. what's, what's going Absolutely. on
1: there? Absolutely. Nice. Well,
3: uh, you also need to add it because uh, it's not in here, I guess. Oh, is it not in there? Yeah, I guess you okay. got a slightly older version. I do have an older version, but so yes. So you we could, yeah, just show installing it and stuff. New
2: template loader. Yeah, so the, the motivation behind this, uh, implementing this was that we wanted to give people kind of an automagical way to inline their templates rather than just specify inside of a component decorator uh, the paths for them. You know, the Webpack way to do it would be you would require that file right there in the template property, but you know, we were kind of challenged working on the Angular CLI to do this in a way that's kind of idiomatic to the user, and so that's kind of where this loader came into play. So uh, to apply a loader just by after I install it, I just need to <laughs> let's see, just in case, I should just npm install everything Um but loaders can be chained together. And so I'm just going to modify this to loaders, which can also be an array, and add that Angular to template loader.
3: And you, I think you probably need to change the TS config.
2: I could just check out the latest version of this product or project, and that
3: would. Oh no! That there's so much. No, <laughs> oh. so much has <laughs> <Yeah>. changed.
2: <laughs> there's so many differences. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think which parts are that I want to modify. It's we can the, crash through it and find out.
3: No, it's it's the awesome task group letter. You need to tell it to use the, um, the thing so it's here.
2: To use what? <laughs>
3: You need to, okay, so awesome TypeScript loader options add a a property use Webpack text, true.
2: Oh, that's right. (laughs) I was like, I usually pass that inside of the configuration, so I was like, oh, okay. Yes, so that's that's one of the features of uh, awesome TypeScript loader is that you can use the TypeScript uh, compilation strategy, or you can deliberately pass files individually to be transpiled, and so... That's just one extra property that we need to change. Uh, so yeah. Use webpack text. True.
3: Okay,
2: so let's give it a shot and see if it works. Oh, well, hey, there's <laughs> there's our if statement hook. <laughs> Yay. Well, I think what we can do is, regardless of the errors, I can stop somewhere uh, inside of that loader and we can see what's happening with it. So let's just set a debugger here, and... So put one
3: put one inside of the loader itself, like the, the function.
2: Yeah. So a loader in its simplest form is just a function that takes a source, which is the file that's passed to it, and then returns a new version. And so all we're doing, like I said, is performing a simple transform on a file, except Webpack does this asynchronously to all of your files that you specify for your loaders. Right npm run debug, see if we'll get this to stop this time. We should, all right, hey, we're on Angular Air. Oh, you know what, I wonder if it's because I need environment flags to be passed through to get into some of your code, that would be it.
4: Hey, Sean, uh, do you have a, a power cable? Looks like your juice is about to
2: Oh, it is, yeah, I, can, you. I, can Lose you. I can plug it in. Secretly behind the scenes, uh, I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just add that environment flag so it does the same thing. I think that's what our problem was. Okay, hey, live coding. Okay, here we go. So let's do npm run debug. Okay. Oh, it looks like it did stop again. Well, that's strange that it's not loading. And try one other thing. I wonder if this is just so I have a lot more reliability using Node nightly versus Node six. But through uh, Node nightly and Canary have been although they're the most bleeding edge. Uh, you know, most developers are going to have it. I've been able to to set breakpoints through loaders before. I'm assuming you have two, Patrick.
3: I, I only use no nightly for debugging. Then we should do that.
2: So, mpm install no nightly. Well, I know we're almost running out of time, so I can keep doing this if you guys have other questions.
1: I, I did want to get to, um, you can wrap up on this if you have uh, some final points, but we are getting near the top of the hour, and I do have one more quick topic that I wanted to cover. Absolutely. Uh, so is okay. there something else on this you wanted to show? <laughs>
2: No, I so the I guess the three things, and we can we can take this away as Sean's live coding experience also, but uh, so the best ways to go about it, like, and I published an article on Medium. You can go to uh, medium.com/webpack slash under our publication, and that always talks about using uh, Node Nightly as one of our tools uh, to debug, and so that's been the most reliable. I'm sure Patrick can can, but otherwise it said points anywhere and explore the code for Webpack, because there's a hundred different things that you can find out on how to use it, and, um, you know, it's really, it can be frustrating at first, um, but the developer experience after you get it is probably the most satisfying feeling, and I think that's maybe why I enjoy using Webpack so much.
1: So I'm totally with you on this. I am. Uh, but the realization that uh, most people are sort of like way over on this side that uh, they don't, you know, just copy and paste from other people. Just even getting them to read the documentation is like a step in the close direction. I uh, totally get it that getting them over on this other side where you are to read the source code is uh, would be great. And, and But it's good to know that um, it, it's something that you think is kind of... Approachable, uh, so I, I think I'll, I'm going to at least try that approach, and we'll see how it goes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, something that's kind of exciting is that you know, I'm hoping to be working with Paul Irish to uh, and the Chrome DevTools or the Chrome Dev team, so that Webpack can be you know a super awesome experience. So hopefully, look forward to that in the near future as well.
1: Cool. Okay. One last quick topic before we get to the picks. So this is an Angular show. We've talked only kind of briefly about Angular through the show. Can you give me kind of a couple minute quick spiel on why you think Webpack makes Angular awesome?
2: So uh, and I, I guess I have points for both Angular 1 and 2, um, you know, if that's appropriate. We have a whole bunch of Angular One users out there still. Sure. Um, yeah. If you're if you're using Grunt or Gulp, uh, switch to Webpack. And there are a lot of great resources or boilerplates. Um, you can it, it helps automate processes that you used to you know kind of find a pain. So things like having to use like Template Cache. Well, Webpack can help require HTML files so that you can automatically have those inlined. Um, it. It's also super great for, um, you know, kind of enforcing design patterns that make Webpack really readable, or I'm sorry, Angular really readable and usable. So uh, Patrick even had a really great... One of the first repos I ever saw about Angular 1 in Webpack, which is, uh, I think, ES6 Starter or NG6
3: Starter? Yeah, it's NG6 Starter.
2: Yeah, that was an awesome repo. Uh, And it even had generators in it. Um, So it, it allows... You to never have to worry about um, how the code setup, uh, you know, is is taking place, and that's something that as an Angular user, especially for Angular 2, there's so many steps to get started, and so Webpack makes it Angular 2 and it helps kind of pin all of those pieces together in your, you know, which would be usually a mundane or kind of a tedious setup process. And whether it be through the Angular CLI, which is now using Webpack, um, also uh, just all the awesome boilerplates out there, like the Angular 2 starter, um, getting started right away and using Angular is easier than ever.
1: Yeah, I would even uh, go further, or maybe frame it in a different way, for as far as the Angular 2 goes, that you can certainly not use Webpack with Angular 2. But to be quite frank, at this point, you're going to be fighting against the grain because clearly the core team has co- sort of adopted it. It's going to be baked into the CLI. Most people that Patrick and I work with are all sort of centering around using uh, Webpack. So I, even though I, I think people are sort of hesitant to say this, you know, I'll, I'll come out and say that it's sort of the de facto standard for a lot of the, at least for, for, for the near-term here with a lot of the Angular 2 development that's going on.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, there's nothing wrong, like, I understand people maybe wanting to be concerned about m- being married to a specific tool, and, and you know, I completely understand that, and there's also people out there who say, well, HTTP2 is coming, you know, we're not gonna need to bundle our code, and really, that's not the case at all. Um, when you think about all the dependencies that you use in an application, especially with HTTP2, um, that could be up to 300, 400 node modules. So even if you serve up an individual file for every dependency that you're requesting, uh, you know, at a scale like that, you're still gonna have lots of overhead and delay time, uh, even with that much multiprocessing. For Webpack 2, we have a probably one of the the most recent features that we added is um, support for HTTP2 by using what's called aggressive splitting, and so it kind of takes the same idea of doing code splitting, but then it allows you to control and tweak how many different bundles you create, so yeah, having like, let's say, 10 10 or 12 different bundles for your code for HTTP2 is really optimal versus, let's say, you know, one or two, And so Webpack is gonna support that and still bundle your code and then let you kind of tweak it back and forth um, and have modules in those bundles uh, individually sorted for optimization. So it's supposedly a really cool feature. I've played with it once or twice, but I don't have TTP2 set up yet to really kind of take it for a drive, but, you know, I see the future of Webpack being bundling as a spec, and so maybe it's not coined as Webpack, but it's everything that comes with the education of knowing how, you know, why are we need to do this today, and do we need to still do it? Um, and maybe this kind of stuff should be a standard, and so, you know, I'm, we're trying to work with as many people as possible to ensure that the output or the outcome of Webpack, which is a really killer dev experience with a dev server and super high performance without having to really struggle over too much tweaking, uh, just be something that happens in, you know, like your IDE or, uh, you know, a dev tools for any browser. Um, And so, you know, that's kind of the the path that we're wanting to take, and, um, you know, once we get our documentation handled, I think that's the road to come.
1: We do have one Twitter question... Whether, do you know when Webpack and CLI will drop in NPM? I think you mentioned earlier that it's close.
2: I think it's really close. Uh, they were saying we were just waiting on uh, Travis tests to pass in, in green for that release. And so once that branch was good to go, we were going to release it.
3: You could. So, like Hans just tweeted just now, if you npm install angular-cli at Webpack, then you could start utilizing
1: it today. There you go.
2: I saw the message, but I didn't have time to, to switch
1: over. Cool, great tip. All right, let's get to our picks. Justin, why don't you start off?
4: Okay, my pick is uh, for a meetup group called Angular Zone. They have a webinar going tomorrow uh, with Kara on Angular 2 forms, so it should be pretty interesting. You guys should check that out if you
3: get a chance. Um, just check, we'll have a link in the show notes.
1: Cool, thanks, Justin. Patrick?
3: Yeah, so Angular Class just dropped uh, Angular 2 Fundamentals course for free. Uh, so you can get that at Angular Class. Um, so that's my pick. My other pick is um, I wrote a, a small blog post on Angular 2 conventions. Uh, Angular 2 conventions loader, which is basically taking the power of Webpack and automating a lot of conventions that we normally do in Angular. So rather than doing add components in Angular 2, and rather than doing add components uh in, Add the selector, add the template, or whatever. Uh, Webpack will do that automatically for you uh, using the Angular two convention So it'll automatically take the class name and convert it to a selector. or automatically inject like the template and styles and everything. So uh, that's something else that's pretty cool with Webpack.
4: That's a good uh, why Webpack answer right there. Is that's one of the potentials of it, right? It's it's, really it's a very idea.
3: small small use of Webpack power because there's there's so much you could do. It's insane.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, having that much auto magic is is doable with you know, really not that much effort. The the loader is not that big, is it?
3: From what I've seen, Patrick. No, it's 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 really simple. Like if I knew more about <laughs> regular expressions, it would be a lot smaller. <laughs> yeah, learn red <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's was, it was mostly like a lot of people were asking me for features, so I just kind of like put a put them all in there. So it's pretty cool. Cool. All
1: right, Sean, what do you got?
2: Uh, use Node Nightly for all your debugging uh, of your node processes. This is <laughs> kind of a, a good learning process, but I think it's uh, a really, it's a well-maintained repo by a guy named Manth. Uh I think I said it right, but you can go to, uh, you can just download it with npm install node-nightly-g uh, with the global flag, um, and you can start using it right away. Uh, it's kind of instant access instead of trying to go about um, downloading the binary, etc. So that's a, that's a great. And then uh, second pick would be take a look at our new webpack.io uh, repo. So it's the it's kind of the inception of the start of our new documentation. A lot of things are going to be copy pasted over uh, and then revised for content. But um, we did just release uh, our first kind of intro doc that gives a high level of kind of the five Ws. You know what, why, where, and of Webpack, and um, I I would say the third pick would be um, you kind of plugged it earlier but, or not Angular but Webpack Uh, it has all of the kind of everything or I like to say Webpack all the things this is all the things Webpack so take a look at that and uh, you can find all sorts of different uh, resources um, along with kind of all the different frameworks that are using Webpack uh, underneath, I guess, are blackboxed from Laravel to uh, Angular CLI to create React app. Um, So it's kind of exciting, and you can kind of have everything at your fingertips.
1: Sean, you're not allowed to say the R word. I'm going to have to ban you from the show. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, thanks, Sean. Thank you for joining us as well. Um, For my pay, I just have one pick really. Uh, There is a great blog post I read called The Principles of Quantum Team Management. It was written by James Everingham, who's the head of engineering at Instagram. And I thought it was super interesting. You know, the main gist that he, uh, TLDR, is that to not micromanage, not, uh, not even provide very detailed feedback to your developers, instead just provide a container that they can kind of live in like their own kind of world and just give them freedom and, you know, some high-level guidance, but let them kind of figure out stuff on their own. So uh, the title comes from, you know, Quantum Mechanics, which is really all about unpredictable behavior and making it understandable. And so the idea is that you don't try and force people to behave a certain way and to do everything at a fine-tuned certain way, you sort of let within the container which would they work, then behave in whichever way they figure out. It's sort of unpredictable, but you sort of just understand it and create sort of these higher level goals and, and direction to lead the team. And that gives them a feeling of freedom, feeling that they are accomplishing something and at least they, at Instagram, in implementing the, these types of ideas, they have seen you know great success. So I, I was pretty inspired by this and highly recommend uh, other people read it, especially if you are a manager of any sorts.
2: Maybe you can use it on open source projects, too.
1: That's Yes. Actually, I think it does apply to open source a lot. Yeah, for sure. And take a look at it. Yeah. Okay. And just for upcoming shows, note that next week, uh, Patrick, I don't know if you noticed, but we're... Supposed to do a Angular Universal tutorial. You ready for that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got to talk about that. But yes, that is... tables have turned. I think I'm going to be a <laughs> panel member. <laughs> that would be funny. Maybe we'll do that if you're available. Yeah, that would be funny. Um, so yes, that's on the, on the table for next week. And then the week after, on the 16th, we have Austin McDaniel coming in to talk about Angular Data Table. And then on... August 25th. I am actually on vacation, but that doesn't matter because it's going to be the Todd Motto Show. You guys better be prepared. It is going to be unreal. (laughs) All right. That's it for this week. Thanks a lot, everyone, for joining us. See you next week. Have a uh, good one, everyone. Bye. See ya. See ya.